Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. We are still Liverpool. That was the message from Jurgen Klopp and his players didn't disappoint. A bump down to earth for Leicester City, but a reminder to everyone else in the Premier League that despite the walking wounded, Liverpool are far from dead. We'll be discussing the Reds in closer detail on today's Floodlight Focus too after a 3-0 win for the champions sees them reclaim top spot in their attempt to defend their crown. Lacklustre Leicester remain in the top four. The Foxes paid the penalty for their poor showing and penalties have been a hot topic following this weekend's action. Another terrible miss from Fulham, another retake for Bruno Fernandes at Manchester United. We ask whether the current spot kick situation is worthy of closer inspection. I'm Niall McCorn, this is Football Social Daily, and with me to kickstart another week of Premier League podcasts, we've got Marley Anderson. Hiya, Marley. Hello, mate. When are we uh, When are we squeezing in the latest rant about Steve Bruce? Matt Pidd's also here. You got anything you want to rant about, Matt, seeing as Marley does? <laughs> um, no, I did all my ranting on Saturday about City, so I'll, um, I'll leave Marley to do that one today. <laughs> I love how Marley's more angry about Newcastle United's performance uh, <laughs> a week on oh, than no. he was the week I, before. I'm not, I'm not quite that bad, but uh, still... I mean, still stewing away. <laughs> it's still not going to be like last week, though. So if you're thinking, oh, God, I'm not listening to this idiot just ranting on again, <laughs> okay. it won't be <laughs> Definitely going to give you some time to get that off your chest, though. Um, but you're going to have to stew on it for a little bit longer because the first thing we're going to talk about on today's podcast is the game that took place late yesterday evening at Anfield. Liverpool 3, Leicester City 0. This was first versus third going into the weekend's Premier League action uh, and in the end it was very much roles reverse. Liverpool climbed back to the top of the Premier League table. Leicester drop into fourth position in the Champions League places after that result. Um, obviously all the other games from yesterday you can check back on Sunday's podcast with Fergal Brennan and the gang uh, looking back across all the weekend's games apart from this one which we'll obviously talk about right now because the podcast was being recorded as that game was taking place so it's only right for us to discuss it because it now means it's 64 Anfield games unbeaten for Liverpool. It's a phenomenal phenomenal record 
I tell you what, Marley, if someone had said to you when Jurgen Klopp um, went into the club that he would be able to turn Liverpool around in the way that he's done so and get them to have this ridiculous unbeaten home streak, as good as everyone knew Klopp was, would you have believed it at the time back in 2015? It's a hard one to believe, isn't it? If somebody said that, you know, you're going to go unbeaten for, what is it, practically like three years now. It's an unbelievable thing to believe, especially with your, you know, you say in... Man City are going to be, you know, 100 points, um, double, you know, back-to-back Premier League champions, and even they're not going to be able to beat Liverpool at Anfield. You know, the amount of talent in the Premier League and the amount of money flying around and the amount of freak results that we see on a regular basis, you would say, well, how can someone go that long um, at home without without losing? And it's a hell of a record. It's it's unbelievable to, to think. And when you put it into context as well, I mean, there was one thing that went round on on social media yesterday and it was that Sadio Mane has never lost a home game while while a Liverpool player and he's been there what two and a half three three years something like that and he's never lost at Anfield since so. the start of the 2016 season yeah exactly and it's it's unreal I mean 60 60 plus games is is a hell of an achievement and you know, you, you can't take that away from them, whether you you love Liverpool or you love to hate them. It's uh, it's one of them where you've got to, you've got to give them that credit because it's, uh, you know you don't do that unless you're not a very very special team. Yeah, I remember when Jose Mourinho first took over at Chelsea and he had a similar home record and that was big, big billing at the time, wasn't it? Because there were some, you know, top contenders in the Premier League at that moment in time. And likewise now, with the Premier League the way that it is, Matt, with everyone able to be everyone on their day, I mean, we've already seen Liverpool get beaten 7-2 this season. Um, and yet still, after three or four years almost, that you know, seasons, that they've got this unbeaten record. It's crazy, really, when you think about how erratic the Premier League is. I mean, funnily enough, it was um, Chelsea that ended um, Chelsea's unbeaten um, home league run. I think it definitely weren't as long as Liverpool's. But like Marley was saying, with the amount of like teams that are up there now, especially with, with City, with the way we've been for the last uh, two or three seasons, for Liverpool to still have this record, I mean, that's unbelievable. And you've got to give credit to Jurgen Klopp there because he just didn't... Like he was saying about this, this mentality thing, these mentality giants... I think Liverpool go into every home league game believing that they're not going to get beat. And it doesn't matter who they've got playing for them in the starting eleven. if Van Dijk's out or not, or Alexander-Arnold's out or not, or Henderson's out or not. I think he just has this this way of getting the best out of um, any of the players that he's got on the pitch for him. He was the exact same at Dortmund when he first took over Dortmund from Mainz. I, I watched quite a lot of um, German football and he took a lot of what you'd call, say, like mediocre to average players, and he took them to a to a level that no one thought they could reach. And I think he's he's doing the exact same at Liverpool. He's taking these players and the the reaching a level that that people thought they'd never get to. I mean, James Milner, like he's thirty, he's thirty four, and he is he's he's running around like he he's, he's twenty one still. You know what I mean? And we I I loved him at City when he played for us because no matter what happened on the pitch, he always put a graft and he always put a shift and he might have not been the best technically. But he always put that shift in and he, players like him, he breeds that around the starting eleven. If he, if he starts in that team, he he's like um he's like another captain. If Henderson's not playing, do you know what I mean? He he will he will get the best out of the players around him. And you know what? It's absolutely credit to Jurgen Klopp. It's it's hard for me to say as a city fan with the way we we're playing at the moment, it's polar opposites. Mm. 
But you know what? Credit to Jurgen Klopp and credit to Liverpool. Yeah, definitely. We'll be speaking to a Liverpool fan later on in Floodlight Focus, Paul Nolan, who's an electronic music producer and a big Liverpool fan. So stick around if you are a fellow Red to listen to that, because I'm sure we'll be asking him about Jurgen Klopp and James Milner and the impact uh, that Liverpool have had in recent times. But I thought it was interesting, Matt, that you mentioned there that Liverpool go into these games feeling that they're not going to get beaten. But I guess, Marley, that it's all well and good having that mindset, but that can easily sort of transcend into complacency. But it doesn't feel that the, the Liverpool have got any complacency under Jurgen Klopp. It, it feels like even though that they are assured and they know, you know, they're pretty confident that they're not going to get beaten at Anfield, at least 64 games certainly tells that story. It's it's a very thin line to kind of toe, isn't it, between being self-confident and and arrogant and complacent and and that is where you can fall down in the Premier League yeah absolutely I think um, that's the most impressive thing about Klopp for me I don't think you know a lot of people talk about his pressing and his and his tactics and stuff like that but for me the biggest influence he has on teams is is um, his, his management and his motivational factors because you know players want to run through walls for him he's that kind of player um like he's that kind of manager he's one of them who you want to play for um <laughs> he's it's certainly not... not the german tony pulis that he was initially labeled as because he wears the club <laughs> because shirt. he wears a cap <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he somehow manages to pull it off as well if he was english he would he would be getting pelters from every corner of the media and me especially but he can pull it off it's because he's he, I don't know because he's probably because he's good to be honest, um, but it's it's one of them. It's it's where you, you know, you look at him and you think you know you'd love to play for him. You'd love to um, take on his his motivational skills. I mean, some some managers can possibly be too tactical um, at times. Maybe maybe Pep maybe Pep's the perfect example. He's a hell of a manager, but but not maybe not all the time. You can take on all that that tactical. Um, information sometimes you need to be told you know you need to stick in and have you know put a bit of a rocket up here and get an extra 10% out of you because I think that's what Klopp does um, and that's the difference between the two of them they're both amazing managers but Klopp is can get a little bit more out of a little bit less kind of thing and I think that's when you look at the way Liverpool and their mentality and their their arrogance kind of thing and it's it's not arrogance in a bad way it's arrogance as in you've got to come to Anfield and beat us and this is where we're we're fantastic you know we're gonna we're gonna play our game and you've got to cope with us because that's that's what we're seeing 64 games without defeat is no no fluke you know it's 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 them saying well you know come on then come and come and stop us come and come and do something that we haven't seen before because we're we're gonna play this way and you're gonna struggle to deal with it and no one's worked it out over the last what three years now it sounds ridiculous, but I think there's an element of peer pressure in the way that Jurgen Klopp manages. Um, not in the sort of conventional sense that you might be thinking of, but certainly they don't want to let him down. And they they also have this relationship with him, the players, where they feel like, you know, that they are all friends and they are all a tight unit. And obviously there is a rank there. Jurgen Klopp is top of the tree. He's the manager. What he says goes. But it also feels like, you know, that there's always this motivation where they're spurring each other on. And I think, like you say, Marley, those motivational factors are a massive part as to why Liverpool are the successful side that they are now. But another side to it, I think, Matt, is the strength in depth that Liverpool have got. Now, a couple of seasons ago when Manchester City ended up getting 98 points and Liverpool got 97, a lot of the the defining factors people were saying was that Manchester City 
had a thicker squad, a deeper squad than Liverpool, and they were able to get the job done um, when they had their injuries and whatnot. Does this game yesterday against Leicester, beating them 3-0, and Leicester have been good this season, does that kind of stop the strength in depth argument about Liverpool in its tracks? I think it goes back to what I was saying about him being at Dortmund and getting the, the best out of every single player in that squad. It doesn't matter who they are, just whether the starters, whether they're from um, the reserves or whatever. I think when you look at Liverpool's um, starting eleven and Leicester's starting eleven, you would have thought straight away, Leicester can go and do a job here on Liverpool, Leicester, especially with the way Leicester like to play on the counter-attack. Liverpool like to have the majority of the ball and they're very aggressive with the ball. But the thing is, with, um, with Leicester yesterday... He was very passive with and without the ball. Normally they're happy just to sit back, soak up the pressure and then counter punch. But they, they didn't do that yesterday. And that's credit to Liverpool because Liverpool give him absolutely nothing to, to even go off. I think Liverpool just basically sucked the belief out of them in the first half. They absolutely mm. battered them all over the pitch. I mean, Leicester didn't even have anything of note as far as I can <laughs> that, remember. Like in, that, in, in, in terms of Johnny chances. Johnny Evans' own goal was quite funny though. You've got to admit. I know it's I mean, not nice it to was, see yeah, but it the was way funny. it bounced off the back of his head and went in, I did laugh, I must admit. I mean, and, and that that's enough to suck the belief out of any team. Like, you know, it's not going to be our day today. Like, yeah. you know, let, let's just pack up and go home now. We might as well. But they've still got quality players out there. They've, I mean, Diego Jota, uh, he's been a revelation. I didn't think he'd be doing this well for no. Liverpool. And I mean, even Roberto Firmino finally scoring, that just says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> and, you, and, you, and, you, and you've still got Sadio Mane. Naby Keita's a quality player. We know Wijnaldum does a, a job in midfield. He's, he'll always give you 110%. They've still got Robertson at left-back. Fabinho's a fantastic centre-half when he fills in there. And obviously, they've got Alisson, who's in that. So, they've still got a good squad there. But I think it does sort of... It's it's not a myth, but I think it's, it's looked at far too much strength in depth. I think it's just about how you go about yourselves on the day how you want to play as a team and the team that you're up against, if they're going to, say, turn up and give their all, are they going to, like Leicester did yesterday, just be very passive and not really give you much to do? If they would have come up against a better team yesterday, Liverpool, or if they would have come up against a better Leicester team, should I say, yesterday, it might have been a very, very different story. But no, again, I'll give all credit to Liverpool because Liverpool, basically, they just they were the better side and, and Leicester, they might, they might not have had the belief, but I think Liverpool had a lot to do with that. It brings me nicely onto this next point, which was a quote from Jurgen Klopp after the game, Marley. He said in an interview, we are still Liverpool, which is obviously a very true message uh, in the very you know basic sense of the word. Of course, they're still Liverpool. But I think in terms of uh, the aura that the club has and, and the kind of the feeling around the big club and the mentality that they should have as a side, I think it's a very true message in that sense as well. And if I bring you an example, if you look at the United teams of old who would still win with a second string side, here's a Manchester United lineup from an FA Cup game against Arsenal oh, yeah. about 10 years ago. So Van der Sar in goal, Wes Brown, Smalling, Vidic and Ever across the back line, which is fair enough. But this midfield, Raphael, Gibson, <laughs> O'Shea and Fabio and up front Rooney and Hernandez. So people look at that Manchester United side and they say, how did that side beat Arsenal in the FA Cup with one of the worst midfields United have had in the Premier League era? Well, the answer, the answer is because they were Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson and they had yeah. this fear factor about them. So do you think now that Liverpool have built that? Uh, yeah, probably. There's there's probably a, a sense of it. I mean, you could probably say it's not quite what Alex Ferguson's was because it was built over a longer time. Um, and you could probably say Liverpool's squad, you know, when you compare it to that one, for example, I know it was just an example, but it's obviously 
a little bit um, stronger anyway with the the cash they've got and the the caliber of players they've got. But the the basis of it is is still there. I think you know, um, you know, we said last week that Liverpool have still got a decent team. Um, but sometimes I think uh, you can't. Sometimes you don't hit that level when you've not when you're missing players because it's almost like. It's a mentality thing of of oh we haven't got uh, we haven't got Trent at right back and then then you look on paper and it's like you've got Milner and he's been one of the best crossers in the Premier League for fifteen years now like he made his debut as a sixteen year old at uh, at Leeds and he was amazing and he came to Newcastle and he was amazing he went to Villa and he was amazing then City and and uh, you know he's always always been one of the best players so it, as a backup it's not exactly bad um, and it means you can keep that mentality because you're not thinking. You know we're a little bit weaker in a certain area. I think the only, the only place that would ever affect them is probably in goal because that's the, that's the drop off between Allison and Adrian. Um, I think when you're slotting in Fabinho, who cost you know what fifty odd million to centre back, I don't think you've got that that many worries. So it allows you to allows you to keep the mentality of you know you're still going to do very very well to come and beat us because we're still a quality team and you know we're on our own patch. We're not going to roll over. Um, and I think. To be honest, I think Leicester could was almost the perfect opponent for them um, at the weekend because you've got a weakened team slightly and you've got a quality team coming, so you need to get the best out of everyone uh, quickly. Otherwise, they are they have got the potential to turn you over like they did with Man City, um, and they're at the top of the league practically. Leicester they were first going into the weekend, so it's not like they were uh, they're there no mugs. So you have to be at your best and. That mentality has just uh, been been allowed to continue with the win, I think. Well, we should mention Leicester because Matt's already said about sort of why he feels Leicester were poor yesterday because I thought they looked pretty bad to me, even though Liverpool were good. Matt says he thinks because Liverpool started so aggressively, they kind of sapped the life out of Leicester. Do you agree with the fact that Leicester looked really sort of out of sorts? I thought they looked pretty poor, actually. And if so, any particular reason from your point of view, Marley, as to why that might have been? I'm not really sure, to be honest. It's... They normally do a lot better against the top teams. They usually a threat on the counter attack and stuff. But I think the the way Liverpool attack is slightly different to like a Man City, for example. If you look at the when they when um, Leicester beat Man City, they were able to soak it up and hit on the counter attack. I think Liverpool are, are a little bit more direct, um, and they get it forward a bit quicker. It's less less you know passing around and. There's less build up, isn't there? It's more aggression for Liverpool. Yeah, a lot less build up, and you know you have to you have to deal with the threats quickly. Uh, whereas sometimes Man City can be a little bit, um, a little bit slow in the build up and, and allow you to get into a shape. Like it's still it's still hard to keep them out, but it's a little bit um, easier to get sort of ten behind the ball and, and then spring your counter attack. But Liverpool probably probably get it forward a bit quicker and it's a bit harder to deal with and. When the cross came into the box for and Johnny Evans just bizarrely headed it past Schmeichel, you thought, I don't think it, I don't think it's Leicester's day at the minute. And then, no, I mean it could have got worse with Evans managing to hit his own post from <laughs> oh, yeah. five yards out, which was just it was Sunday League stuff. And Johnny Evans is quality defender, but Christ, that just summed up his uh, his day and, and Leicester's day in in total. I'm I still laughing at that own goal. I shouldn't because it's the worst feeling, but. The way it just... It's his face, isn't it? It's his face. He's like, oh, shit, where did that go? Oh, it's funny. <laughs> he turns around and it's in the net. I'm sorry if you're a Leicester fan listening to this because you're going to have to endure more Liverpool chat in Floodlight Focus, which is coming up shortly. But time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily. And afterwards, we'll be talking about penalties. Another weekend of strange penalty decisions. We'll talk about it next here on the podcast. 
Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Premier League podcasts every single day of the season. A brand new one every day for you. So make sure you hit subscribe or follow or whatever it may be, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And that way, every time there's a new show, you'll be notified straight away. Today, we've been talking about Liverpool's 3-0 victory over Leicester City. And we'll be talking to Liverpool fan Paul Nolan in Floodlight Focus a little bit later. But first, I wanted to ask you boys about penalties. Matt and Marley alongside me today. Another weekend of odd penalty decisions, mainly due to the goalkeeper jumping off the line. We saw it in the Man United game against West Bromwich Albion, to use a prime example. Now, Marley, Sam Johnston, the West Brom keeper, was punished for jumping off of his line. Fernandez retook the penalty and United won the game by a goal to nil. It's not the first time we've seen Fernandez have that fortune this season. He did it in the Champions League against PSG where Keylor Navas jumped off the line, the penalty was saved and then it was retaken and then Fernandez scored second time of asking. So Sam Johnson suffered a similar fate in the game between West Brom and United at Old Trafford and he actually tweeted later on in the day saying a striker shouldn't be able to hop, skip and jump before kicking it in response to the incident that he was penalised for jumping off of his line. First of all, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Do you think he's right? Has he got a point? Can you see why he's annoyed? Uh, I can see why he's annoyed, but I don't think he's got a point. I think if you, as long as you don't stop your movement, then fine. Um, And, you know, if you do the little jump before it, it's just another technique. Um, It's designed to put goalkeepers off and make them commit. And that's what that's the trap um, a lot of them fall into. You've seen it with Jorginho's penalties, and you've seen it with Bruno Fernandez's. When he decides to do it, it's it's part of the game. He's, he's not breaking the rules. He's still continuing his movement. He's not um, stopping his um, his his flow towards the ball. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Interesting, really, because. Obviously, the whole point of a goalkeeper jumping off the line is to try and save the penalty, Matt. They obviously want to save the penalty. Of course they do. And a lot of the time, it is a guessing game for a goalkeeper. You see them dive either, le- dive either left or right, and a lot of the time, it either goes straight down the middle or the other side. And it is just potluck for a goalkeeper, such as the difficulty of saving a penalty nowadays. But, I mean, in terms of a striker not being able to hop, skip and jump, as Johnston claims, I mean, you you seem to be in agreement with Marley that it, it's not fair, but... Should the advantage be with the attacker anyway because of the fact that there was a foul in the box and that's the whole reason it's a penalty in the first place? Well, I think the two, the two totally different things, coming off your line and having a hop, skip and a jump, coming off your line is narrowing the angle down and therefore giving the keeper more of a chance of actually saving the ball and giving the, the attacker, the penalty taker, less to aim at. But a hop, skip and a jump for me, like Marley was saying, it's as long as the uh, the penalty taker isn't stopping or doing a dummy or something like that mid penalty, then I don't, I don't I don't see the problem with it. It's it's a battle between it's two minds, isn't it? It's it's basically it's like a little bit of a um, bit of mind games. I mean, we used to see it with um, with goalkeepers like you remember like Bruce Grabelard doing the um, stupid spaghetti legs and spaghetti arms and stuff like. That. I mean, I mean that's got a that's bound to have an effect on the, the penalty taker there in terms of like putting him off. We see keepers go from post to post. Um, making themselves bigger and stuff like that on the line. So I no, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. Like like I said, within reason. Like if you're not if you're not stopping mid penalty and then like feigning to shoot and then the keeper dives on the floor and then putting it the other way. No, um, I can so, I can see why he's annoyed. Sam Johnston, I can see why he's annoyed, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. 
so obviously if you're talking about the grobble arm making funny faces and making your legs go all wobbly yeah. and just trying to put the striker off that's all good but jumping off the line is not okay no it's not okay no because it's, it's closing the angle down it's closing the angle down for the um for the the penalty taker you know and the keeper's got more of a chance to save it if you go closer it's like one-on-one situations isn't it if you if you if you rush out as a goalkeeper you're giving the you're giving the striker less to aim at and if the keeper jumps off like I think you're allowed one foot on the line still, that's within reason, isn't it? Yeah, you still allow one foot on the line. But if the keeper jumps off his line by a considerable amount of distance, then no, I, I, I don't think that's fair. Well, this rule's been in place for ages, Marley. Goalkeepers having to stay on their line, they're not allowed to jump off their line. But it's only really this season that we've seen it forensically analysed. And it's not the first time in the Premier League this season that we've seen a penalty retaken because a goalkeeper has ended up jumping off the line, or at least in all competitions this season. Is this something that we should be looking at in terms of a, a potential rule change or a tweak? I mean, is it? I mean, can you see why people are getting a bit annoyed about this situation? Because it feels like it's happening a lot more than usual. Uh, I can see, yeah, I can see the annoyance in it. But I mean, as Matt said, this rule's been been in place for years, um, and it's only with the implementation of VAR that you can see it a little bit more. Because you do look at everything when when a goal goes in, you look at everything to see why it goes in or why it doesn't go in from a penalty situation. So for me, I, I didn't think Sam Johnson had a point at all. I thought it was a bit of a bit of um, sour grapes a little bit with the post-match interview coming so quickly after the game and stuff like that. I think his emotions were still pretty high and he was like, well, you know, if I'm not allowed to do this, he shouldn't be allowed to do that. And, you know, the, it, he didn't do anything against the rules and you did. Like, you were a mile off your line, like that first one. You could have seen that without VAR. If if we didn't have VAR and that counted, Man United would have had a lot of, um, what's the word? Like they would have had a point to say, well, why did why did he not get penalised for coming off his line? Because he's a good, you know, a full step off his line before he he dives to his uh, his left to save it. So, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's. it's I just don't think he had a point, to be what, honest. What do we think of this hop technique, though, Marley? And I know we've spoken about it on the podcast before, but Bruno Fernandes has missed more than one or two penalties this season, and he's had a chance to retake. He did it against PSG in a big game. You know, West Brom coming to Old Trafford, uh, United, the pressure was massively on them to get their first home Premier League win of the season, the first at home in the league since July. So, you know, Fernandes had missed that penalty. Was it smart from Fernandes in terms of knowing that if he does that and the goalkeeper jumps off the line, he's got a second bite of the cherry. Or was it lucky? Because we've seen this hop, skip and jump technique a couple of times where Jorginho's missed a couple in a row from doing it. And it feels like when it works well, it's brilliant. But when it doesn't work well, it's it's almost cringeworthy. Yeah, I think um, with, with that technique, I think what we're starting to see now, especially with Jorginho missing a couple and now Fernandez missing a couple... I think keepers have just have worked out how to deal with it, and we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think just standing directly still until he comes down off that jump um, at the very end of his run-up. I think if you manage to stay directly still and not give away which way you're going, you've then got a pretty good chance of saving it because you've got a fifty-fifty chance. Because I don't think you can you can't smash it that hard um, with such a small a small run-up. So you you are giving the keeper a chance. Um, I think we'll start to see it sort of like fading out of the game a little bit, um, especially in the Premier League with in the coming weeks, because I think people are starting to think, well, it is a bit of a risk. Um, 
Having said that, Fulham, Fulham will try it next week and uh, probably fall over on the run-up or something like that, like Maggie Simpson and headbutt the ball or something. But we'll see. It's um, yeah, but I, I think people are just cutting onto it, cottoning onto it now, and uh, you're taking too much of a risk. You know, a penalty should go in three quarter, you know, three quarters of the time easily. Mm. I think you you reduce that risk slightly if you start um, doing something that everybody else has done and people are starting to get used to. Well, we've seen eight penalties missed this season. Uh, that's roughly one per Premier League match day on average. Obviously, not all of them coming on a week-by-week basis. But the likes of Jorginho, Fernandez, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Jamie Vardy and Alexander Mitrovic have all missed penalties. Uh, uh, sorry, Milivojevic have all missed penalties. I said Mitrovic because obviously oh, God. Fulham, um, they've got some dodgy penalty-taking situations at the moment, haven't they, Matt? Um Obviously, the last one Adamola Lookman took was a Penenka that went straight into the into the goalkeeper's oh. arms, and then Cavalero ended up kicking his own foot yesterday against Everton, and the ball went flying over the crossbar. So that's a real situation for them, and it's a situation they can't afford to mess up for any longer because they're already struggling down the bottom end of the Premier League. And as Marley says, you'd be expecting to to score penalties more often than not. I think if Fulham get a penalty now, I think they'll be begging for a free kick because they're that, they're that, <laughs> they're that poor at the penalties at the moment. We went through it last season, City, I don't know if you remember, there was a, a stage mm. where we we missed about three out of four penalties or something like that, something ridiculous, and we changed penalty takers. I think Gundogan, um, Aguero, De Bruyne, Sterling. Sterling. Yeah, Sterling. Um, but Fulham at the moment, I don't I think they're cursed. I think there's just something over at the moment. I was I was watching that with my mate yesterday and um, he said before the guy even took the penalty, he said he's missed this. I said, nah, I said he'll stick this away. I think Caballero's not a bad footballer, to be fair, but he kicked it about against his left foot and it went over the bar. I thought the ground gave way to him at, at first, but it didn't. And it just spooned it straight over the bar. And then there was the Luckman thing against West Ham. And it's, <laughs> Scott Parker, he's got a wonderful head of hair, right? But I think... By the end of the season, if this carries on, he'll, 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 that's what I say. He'll be he'll be as bald as Pep. He'll be ripping. He'll be either <laughs> yeah. he'll be either stress related or rip it out himself. But I don't think there's any excuse really for for footballers missing too many penalties. They train day in day out. They should surely, like Miles said, like three quarters of the time putting penalties away. I think Scott Parker will have him already in training right now. This second, all of them. Mm-hmm. Second penalties until nine out of ten of them have got him in the corner every single time. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know whether it's because the crowd not being there, I don't, like there's less pressure, so maybe players more relaxed about the situation. Because obviously you've got cra- crowd behind the goal waving their arms at you, booing you, shouting up senators at you, and stuff like that. And sometimes yeah. that spurs players on, like to go and smash the ball past the goalkeeper. Maybe players are too relaxed now. I don't know. It's it's really weird though at the moment with the, the way penalties are because the, like you said there's a there's a strange thing going on with people missing them. Yeah, definitely. And if you're the next Fulham player to take a penalty, Marley, that pressure is going to be huge because of all of what's gone before with Lookman, with now Cavalero, and it's just like you know the next time Fulham get a spot kick, whoever steps up to take it, whether it's one of the players we've already seen before or someone new, that pressure is going to be absolutely massive because. It's always going to be in the media and the commentators, no doubt, are going to say it before the game. I know the players can't hear the commentary, but it's going to be like, well, Fulham have missed their last two penalties and they've been quite embarrassing. So that pressure is going to be huge for whoever steps up and takes the next one for Fulham. Yep, 100%. Um, I think if I was a goalkeeper playing Fulham in the next game and they got a penalty, just stand, stand directly down the middle. Because if I was a Fulham player now and I got a penalty, I'd be ripping it down the middle as hard as I could. Like just yeah. smashing it and giving giving myself as much chance as possible for it to go in and don't give it an excuse to miss. 
just smash it down the middle. But <laughs> Make sure I, you get your head over the ball because yeah. otherwise it's in the <laughs> River Thames, uh, Mark. Exactly. <laughs> probably end up in that new stand they've bloody got um, going on. So, yeah, it's, um, it's one of them where it's going to be, you know, inc- it'll be whoever's arse is, is taking the penalty, it will be quivering <laughs> because I, I don't even know who it'll be. It's like a roulette. It's like picking a name out of a Tom Bowler and... and you know, Parker himself, he'll flip in registry himself in the squad and take it himself or something like that. But it's scary how many, you know, how quickly it can go through penalty takers. And and because uh, the, there aren't that many people who like taking them. Like, everyone should be able to take them, but the pressure and stuff, who's going to step up with that extra added pressure? As you said, they've, you know, we've missed our last two and then Mitrovic missed one for Serbia in a, a decisive penalty shootout. And he, then he missed his league one a few months ago as well. And yeah, it's uh, it's a bigger issue than it should be, but it's certainly still an issue because Fulham aren't exactly scoring many from from open play either. Absolutely not. Which is in stark no. contrast to the league leaders Liverpool, who scored three past Leicester yesterday, as we've already spoken about. And after this, we're going to take a look at them in greater detail on Floodlight Focus, where Paul Nolan, who's an electronic music DJ, producer, and teacher, will be joining us. He's also a massive Liverpool fan. We'll be asking him all the questions next here on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It's time for another Floodlight Focus, the first one of the week. And talking of first, why not talk about the first place team in the Premier League, the reigning champions, Liverpool. Massive result for them against Leicester yesterday. We've already spoken about it on the podcast. Now let's get the view of a fan. It's Paul Nolan, an electronic music producer, DJ and teacher, and of course, Massive Red, who's joining us. How are you doing, Paul? Very well, my friend. How are you? Yeah, all very well here as well. We had some guys on the podcast a few weeks ago, um, the guys from uh, LFC Day Trippers, and they said that every time Liverpool get thrown something their way, every time the Reds get through it, that is a body blow to the rest of the Premier League. Yesterday certainly felt like one of those moments where last season they were talking about the Super Cup when you went to the Middle East and played in that competition and everyone was saying when Liverpool get back, it's going to catch up with them. You know, the injuries to Van Dijk and subsequent players since then, it hasn't caught up with Liverpool. Would you go along those lines? Because yesterday felt like even though you had all of those injuries, it's just a massive result. Yeah, it's a huge result. And to be honest, the assessment that the day trippers have put in is totally right, because I feel like every time we get written off, every time it looks like there's going to be a a chink of light, so to speak, uh, a weakness that the other teams can exploit. We just close that door we just closed that that weakness straight off and yesterday was no exception because I thought we were absolutely phenomenal from the first whistle and Leicester really they almost looked beaten before they even entered the pitch you know for me they looked almost quite mentally weak and almost beaten before we even started the game to be honest yeah certainly Klopp calls his side mentality giants doesn't he or at least he has done in the past I mean, this is just further evidence of that, isn't it? I mean, how much credit should go to him? Because obviously he's the manager and he's got to make the decisions in terms of the the injuries and what squad to pick and stuff like that. But to keep that winning mentality going for so long, it's now 64 games at Anfield without a defeat. It's an incredible record and surely a lot of the credit must go down to the gaffer. 
massive amount. And to be honest, I was actually at the last game that we lost at Anfield back in April in 2017. <laughs> well, I can't exactly get in at the moment. I don't know whether you've noticed, <laughs> uh, but I'm quite happy to stay away for as long as humanly possible, as long as this record keeps going. But to be completely serious, you know, it shows the culture that the manager's set. And I've been a long time kind of exponent of saying that this team is full of captains. When the first 11 is absolutely all on the pitch, I personally believe there's probably nine or 10 of them you would quite comfortably give the armband to and be totally fine with that. So it just shows you that the winner mentality does just sift all the way down through to even the academy players. And obviously with the new training complex opening last week, that's going to be continuing for the long term because everybody's just that much closer together. It's been a mad season so far with things like you getting beaten by Aston Villa by seven goals to two or whatever it was. And yet still that hasn't seemed to knock Liverpool out of their stride. Obviously, there's been the occasional scrappy 1-0 win, but that's what good sides do. They win games um, even when they're not expected to. So even in this strangest of seasons, does it still feel like this is your title to lose? Very much so. And I think with the fact that with all of the injuries that we have and we're still where we are, I think that does send a very, very strong message. And I've maintained that this is a season unlike any other. And I've said to a lot of friends, other fans, fans of other clubs, that you know I think every single team this season is going to take a hiding like we did at least once. So you've just got to write that off. It is just a complete anomaly and things like this happen. And even if you look into Liverpool's past, when we have taken beatings like that in the past, which are thankfully very few and far between. We've actually had very, very positive ends to the season. So, you know, I'm actually almost looking at it as a good sign, to be honest. I mean, if you look at the competition this season, you've got some surprise packages in there. One of them is uh, the other side of the city, Everton. And, you know, they've obviously got a win at the weekend, but there were a, a few patchy results before that. And obviously Tottenham are starting to come through now. Manchester City haven't quite been there as much as they wanted to. So do you think that there might be a slightly peculiar looking title race this year? Oh, absolutely, 100%. It's got that vibe of like a 2015 Leicester to it where there's a lot of teams that are in and about each other that can almost like kind of drag each other down. I definitely don't think you're going to see 90 plus points this season that wins the league. I think it's definitely going to be high 80s. And for me, you know, to, to be sort of completely biased for a second, I look at the other teams in and around us and I think, the the good the good but I think this is a competition between Liverpool and itself really to see how far we want to go again this season. I want to ask you about James Milner, Paul, because I saw something on Twitter yesterday where people were going, "Is James Milner the best free transfer in Premier League history?" Well, he might well be the best free transfer in Liverpool's history because once again, stepping up to the fore when everyone around him seemed to fall by the wayside, he slots in quite comfortably in the defence there and puts in a top performance. I mean, what are your thoughts on him and what he's offered to Jurgen Klopp's side in the five years now that he's been at the club? The man is quite literally the Terminator. I mean, he literally <laughs> just hasn't dropped his level at all. And when you consider his age, 34, he's still one of the fittest players in the squad. And the fact is he's slotted in, as you say, in a variety of different positions and he's proven to be a total footballer. And, you know, when you have players like that with the experience that they have and the fact that he's won so much around football as well as now with Liverpool, thankfully, you know, you're in a very, very good state. And I think of what he offers to the younger players, I think of what he is offering in terms of guidance to the likes of Curtis Jones and how can you not flourish in an environment like that? 
and players like James Milner, they they tend to set the tone culturally for the rest of the for the rest of the club really. And even when the likes of Jordan Henderson isn't on the pitch, it feels very much like there's continuity with captaincy as well. So I was very pleased to see him on the pitch yesterday and. Again, with his age, he may not play as long or as as many minutes as he might like. But when you've got players like that, I mean, you, you, you've always got a chance, basically. Yeah, I mean, does yesterday's performance give you a little bit of comfort as a Liverpool fan, particularly when it comes to that back line? Because all the talk before the game was that Gomez is out, Van Dijk's out, Robertson could be injured, he did play in the end. Trent Alexander-Arnold's got a calf injury. I don't know, you've got some young players coming through that have been given a couple of games by Jurgen Klopp in the FA Cup and... I think Nat Phillips and, and uh, Williams, both of them played a couple of games as well. So you're coming up against the Leicester team yesterday who, you know, were top of the league going into the match day weekend and they've got some really good attacking players in their, their lineup. So now that you've been able to kind of hold them at arm's length and beat them with a clean sheet, does that give you a little bit more comfort going into the rest of the games? Let's say if Joel Matip gets injured, which is almost inevitable with his injury record, that you're going to be all right for the time being. <laughs> Yeah, I believe he went straight back into bubble wrap as soon as the game was over <laughs> yesterday because he is our only fit recognised centre-half. Thanks for reminding me. But also, you've got Fabinho at the back. And when you actually look at Fabinho's record as a centre-half for Liverpool, even though it isn't his recognised position, it's absolutely incredible. And for me, I almost think that the injuries to Van Dijk and to Gomez in particular, they almost represent a little bit of an opportunity for the likes of Reese Williams for the likes of Nat Phillips and even the likes of Billy Cometio to really step up and we could actually find the future stars in those positions right on our doorstep and costing us pretty much no money whatsoever. But for me, I think in terms of the back line, while it did look a bit hairy on paper yesterday, I think personally the biggest return is the goalkeeper. I think with him behind any sort of back four, we've got a chance because he's that type of goalkeeper that can make any back four play better. Do you think then that, you know, you talk about behind Alisson and obviously we all know how good Alisson is, but Adrian was kind of lauded when he first came into the club, deputising for Alisson in that first initial spell when he did that, he did actually play quite well. But since then, certainly he's looked, uh, like you say, hairy to say the least. So do you think that again, looking for a, a, a better number two might be an option for Liverpool in the next couple of transfer windows? I actually disagree with that and I'll give you a very, very specific reason why I think Adrian is a very, very good goalkeeper and Obviously, everyone will point to the Villa 7-2 as being like a real example of why Adrian's really dropped off. But for me, way that we play when Adrian plays, we play like Alisson is still in goal and we don't actually play to Adrian's strengths. So, for example, the first goal that we conceded against Villa... Andy Robertson absolutely smashes a ball at him. And it's like, Alisson can deal with those types of balls all day, but he's Adrian, he's not Alisson. So we have to learn to adapt when Alisson isn't in the team to play to Adrian's strengths as a keeper. So for me, I think he's every bit as good as he was at the beginning of last season when we won 10 on the bounce with him. But we learned and adapted to his particular style of play as a goalkeeper, because try as he might, he hasn't got Alisson's skill set and it would be unfair to assess him on that kind of skill set because not many goalkeepers in the world do but if we learn to play to his strengths I still think he's a top class keeper I see what you're saying but don't you think that's quite a difficult thing to do to get 10 other outfield players to try and play to the strengths of one 
um, rather than kind of sticking to type and doing what Liverpool do best and just kind of hoping against hope that nothing happens at the back. Well, we did it for 10 straight league wins last season when we didn't have Alisson. And it's not as if Adrian is a complete stranger. So, you know, despite the fact that he's definitely had his moments, I mean, obviously we can look to the exit from the Champions League last season as being a big reason for that. Although I do maintain there were other reasons kind of more wider than football behind that particular performance. You know, I, I do think that there's enough of Adrian in training. There's enough of him being about the club now that we know what his strengths are. And a little tweak of the style of play, especially at the back, does work wonders for a keeper like Adrian. Well, the fixture list is going to get even more um, intense over the next couple of weeks. Obviously, with Christmas on the horizon and we're trying to squeeze like more games this season into a five-week period that doesn't exist because, of course, we've already used it over the summer. So do you think that you know this injury situation might start to pick up before then or, or, or are you kind of hanging on white knuckle to hope that uh, things don't get any worse between now and the new year? I mean, I don't think football's really done itself any favours in general, to be honest with you, because there's been absolutely no sacrifices whatsoever in terms of fixtures. You know, the fact that they've just been on two international breaks where they've just played six meaningless fixtures, let's let's be completely honest, is just an absolute farce. And the fact that, you know, you've got the mixing of different players from different nationalities and different national leagues creating, you know, a, a whole other situation where the pandemic's concerned is just absolutely absurd. So for me, it's going to be the teams that really are going to do well this season are going to be the ones that are able to keep their best players the fittest for the longest and hopefully it's going to be Liverpool. Good run of fixtures as well Paul between now and the start of January. I'm just looking at the the Liverpool fixture list now. Next up um, in the Champions League is Atalanta but from a Premier League perspective Brighton, Wolves, Fulham, um, Crystal Palace, West Brom, Newcastle and Southampton taking you into 2021. The big game there though is Liverpool against Tottenham on the 16th of December. But if you look at all the other games around that, if Liverpool can keep picking up points, that Tottenham fixture might not be as important as some people are making it out to be already. Well, you know, I think where Spurs are concerned, you can always rely on Spurs to eventually be Spurs. And for me, you know, I think there's a lot of hype about Spurs at the moment, especially coming from, you know, national media, because they all seem to be like closet spares fans don't they or they all support Jose Mourinho for the living in some journalists case and and the thing for me is that you know spares as I say they always will revert to type so you know I look at those fixtures and to be honest with you apart from the obvious ones like you know United and City and Everton for obvious more sort of rivalry reasons nobody really instills any sort of fear or concern really it's it's going to be down to us underperforming rather than other teams overperforming for them to get results confident of a London bus situation then Paul wait so long for one title and you might get two in a row hopefully mate hopefully and you know we I, I really don't care about what people say about you know asterisks and fans not being in <laughs> and it doesn't count and all this rubbish it's like it didn't take the shine off for me especially after 30 years I was 10 years old the last time I, I saw Liverpool uh, <laughs> raise a league trophy so nothing was going to ruin that moment for me and then you know the only thing it makes you want is even more so you know fans in no fans in doesn't matter I'll, I'll take them I'll take the pots wherever they come great to chat to you Paul where can people find more from you if they want to check out your music and your producing and stuff like that 
Yeah, so um, available on uh, www.transition.studio. That is like my main sort of platform where we do like music courses and stuff like that as well. And then if you just search for me uh, online, Paul Nolan, you'll hear lots of uh, interesting techno and other weird bleepy electronic sounds that go with it. (laughs) Sounds good. Paul, top man. Thanks for talking to us, mate. You're welcome, mate. Anytime. Thanks very much, Paul. Right, that's it for another episode of Football Social Daily. Cheers, Marley. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks very much, Matt. Cheers, guys. Good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Good to have you back, mate. I'm Niall. Don't forget to hit subscribe and that way you'll never miss another episode of the podcast again. New shows every single day of the football season. We'll be keeping you up to date right through the rest of November, December, January, all the way through to the end of the season. So if you want to keep banging the loop with everything that's going on in the Premier League, the best thing you can do is hit that subscribe button. But that's it for today's podcast and we'll speak to you tomorrow. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.